Hello, my little truffle hunters. Welcome to another rousing edition of the podcast. As always, I am your host, Jensen, the beautiful, majestic motherfucking Dean Jackson. Coming to you live from any place that could be the place. And on today's episode, I'm going to cover episode one and two of season 11 of American Horror Story. Uh, First off the bat, I just got to say, you know, because I'm always I'm always peeking behind the scenes. I'm always, you know, poking one eye through the drapes, looking through the crack in the door, poking out the keyhole so I can get a gander. I'm always behind the scenes for you guys, not because I'm some kind of peeping Thomas, but because I want to entertain you. And so there was a lot of uh, down talking about this latest season, people just calling it boring and bland. And it's like, yo, first of all, you're only two episodes in, motherfucker. Uh, Might want to hold your fucking horses, bro Chill the fuck out. Like, I just feel like during this pandemic, the ones of us who weren't working and, and were blessed to be able to sit at home and be on the couch and not have to be accountable for really anything except their own mental health and sanity, y'all got too used to be given, to be, to being given everything all at once. And, uh, like, it seems like most of us during this pandemic just lost our patience for shit. And most of us, like I said uh, less than a minute ago, were sitting on our asses playing video games, smoking pot. You should have had all the patience of the world because you weren't going the fuck anywhere. So I kind of accidentally let those scant opinions uh, inform my, uh, my own opinion about that, which I, I usually don't do. I, I like to, you know be of my own free will and thought. Uh, But I went into it thinking it was going to be boring. You know how they are. They're like uh, the guys who make the American Horror Stories are like like Kevin Feige and J.J. Abrams with their secrecy. You don't really know what the fuck is going on until you're in the thick of it. And uh, I believe this this season picks up 1985. I think it's 85. Yeah, it's 85. Um, Apparently right before the height of the AIDS epidemic in the gay community. And if you're asking me, like, yo, I think that's a dope-ass concept. I think after 11 years, this year marks 11 years, I think they're kind of moving away from the straight-up... you know, because the title of the card is American Horror Story. So typically what they do is they blend real world, you know, situations into a TV show to make it some sort of compelling um, situation. And I very much am compelled by the AIDS epidemic at the end of the 80s. I guess it would be like mid-80s. Uh, but in, in typical American horror story fashion, you've got serial killers. You know, there's one who is uh, going about New York City's gay scene, carving up gay people. And as it's discovered at the end of episode one, the serial killer is a gay man himself who I, I believe, if correct, they're talking about rashes that won't go away and whatnot. I believe this gay serial killer has what will 
come to be known as AIDS. I find it compelling as fuck. I don't know why other people are like what 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 are you looking for, bro? Seriously, like what are you, one person talking about there's not enough blood and guts and stuff like that and I try to re, re or think back convalesce my thoughts if you will and it's each season every season if you go back the the uh last 10 seasons it takes a minute to build up there's 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 a slickness to the combustion of elements introduced through the show and so for people to go around saying that it's boring and you know like what the fuck the fuck you talk about it's not boring i find the aids epidemic to be as much of an american horror story as something like murder house which is less tangible you can't really put your your hands on the theme of murder house because it relies on malevolent spirits and whatnot but there's something emotionally compelling about the struggles of what the gay community had to face in the uh in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and the height of the AIDS epidemic. And so I really think, you know, it seems like we're going to, the, the, the series is going to center the, the, the A plot is the, the closeted detective who is in a relationship <coughs> with his boyfriend. His boyfriend happens to be the head of a, uh, or I guess he's like the editor-in-chief of a newspaper. And then the B plot, I suppose, will deal with... Uh, fuck is her name um carrie fisher's daughter's character and her slow but steady discovery towards the aids virus and so i think you have a lot of you've got a lot of interesting things going on and it's just the beginning like i said like and the way that they're doing (coughs) excuse me the way that they're doing the drop for this year is each week you're going to get two episodes instead of it being a slow slow trickle one week, one episode type deal. You're gonna each week is gonna bring you two new episodes, and so that's again to the people who are complaining. Like if you're waiting for shit to get bloodier, I mean, I literally just finished the last or finished the second episode, and it literally ended with about six or seven severed hands being hung from meat hooks, which are then in turn hung from chains. So if like you might just be desensitized if that's not enough for you. Uh, yeah, that would be my guess. You need to get some sensitivity training because your ass is desensitized as a motherfucker. Because that shit was like, yo, the fuck? What the motherfucking fuck? Uh, I like that Zachary Quinto is back. It's I feel like it's been a minute since we've seen Zachary... Uh, he's, you know, of course, an American Horror Story original. You've got, oh, her name is Billy Lord. you got Billy Lord returning. And she's also returning for American Horror Story Coven. And she's returning to work with the creators again after two seasons of Scream Queens, which is, in my opinion, still underrated. You know, that show is fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, I don't want to spoil the episode's the two episodes too much in case anybody watches them this would be a shorter review because you know it's only two episodes and i kind of like to get the broader strokes I, I like what they're doing i like 
watching television movies where you can tell that intricate detail has been taken or, or looked over, combed over, and taken care of to make it really seem like you're in New York City, 1985. And I'm loving it. I love this shit. You know what I'm saying? I find, like I, I said, I find the story of the rise of the AIDS epidemic equally as compelling as the plot line in the TV show Snowfall that chronicles the rise of the fucking crack epidemic in, you know, inner city L.A. And so I can't wait. I'm jazzed to see what they do. I'm going to be there every uh, every week to catch episodes. I was, at first when I seen the posters and I saw American Horror Story New York, uh, I wasn't sure what exactly the fuck to think uh, coming from the creators. But... <clears throat> I believe that they have a passion in, uh, they have a passion for telling your making good storytelling involving gay characters and quite honestly I'd like to see that representation a lot more in uh film and TV <clears throat> we may have come a long way so to speak but we could always do better with representation you know at least not another story starring straight white male that's all I'm saying you know that's all I'm saying. Don't don't shoot the messenger. Just read the message. Just, just read the message, and you know I don't know. Burn after reading, maybe. Shit's up to you. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna give these first two episodes. I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give them. Fuck three three puffs. This is solid storytelling. I like what they're doing, and uh, I can't wait to see more. Honestly, I truly can't. And that's going to wrap up the review for the first two episodes of American Horror Story Season 11, NYC. And uh, now I've got a little bit of news from around the internet. And uh, the first one involves John Carpenter and a video game franchise. Uh, Though uh, Carpenter has seemingly retired from making movies now, he remains active as a film composer and producer, and in his spare time, Carpenter has also become an avid gamer, making him even more of a hero of the younger generations who have embraced his movies. The subject of games indeed came up during a recent Carpenter interview with Screen Rant, and specifically the Dead Space, the game Dead Space, which the director previously mentioned wanting to adapt, see his remarks... uh, he wanted to adapt it, and he remarks, <clears throat> oh, yeah, wouldn't that be great to do a movie on that? Sure. I'm still interested, but I don't have anything to do with it because it's not my project. I believe there's already a producer who wants to do it and a director, so no one's asked me, but if they did, I would say yes immediately. It's a really scary project, and I'd love to take it on. And just like... The fact, for me, the fact that some other producer or someone else is in the chair getting ready to make that kind of <clears throat> frustrates me because, bro, like, you got the motherfucker who made the motherfucking thing. John Carpenter's The Thing is still my fucking favorite horror movie of all fucking time. It'll probably never be beat. Probably never. Uh, I would love to see him do it. I'd love to see Big J.C., up in up in the director's chair. I mean, just think of what he could do, and you know the boy would bring the practical effects. I mean, come on. You know the boy would bring the practical effects. I say let John Carpenter fucking do that shit. Let him do whether he wants to do one movie 
or he wants to do a trilogy, let the motherfucker do uh, what he does, which is make bombastically insane movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll have to... I, I know that that's been kind of a chit-chat situation for years now, I think, since the second one came out. I think there was even when the third one came out, there was supposed to be... If you were like a financial backer of the game, they promised you a uh, a walk and roller cameo in the eventual movie, but that never came to pass. Which honestly, in my opinion, should have turned into some type of lawsuit because it was promise made that was broken. Uh, second up, we have <clears throat> some news about the original idea for the mummy. Uh, hold on one second. A loose remake of the 1932 film of the same name, The Mummy Falls, adventurer Rick O'Connell as he travels with Evelyn Carnahan and her older brother Jonathan in a search for the mystical city, mythical city of the dead. Upon arriving, they inadvertently waken. However, you know, you know the story. However, things could have been very different had the original vision for the mummy come to pass. The return of the franchise was first conceived in 1980 with the intent of using the mummy to launch a low-budget horror franchise. Universal initially initially hired George A. Romero, who is also known as the father of the zombie film, to have a heavy involvement in the project. George A. Romero was attached to write and direct the revival of the 1932 Universal Monster Classic, and was limited to a budget of 10 million, about an eighth of what the film, about an eighth of what the final film cost. Romero's vision was different in that he wanted a voiceless monster for the mummy and the romance, romance to have a bitter ending. <clears throat> With dwindling momentum on the project, Romero would draft away, drift away from the mummy, abandoning the script while producers would find the legendary Clive Barker to pick up where Romero left off. But even though Barker himself has undoubted horror pedigree, his involvement would also have resulted in a very different movie that may have been to the mummy's detriment. Clive Barker is a horror icon responsible for a large collection of novels, plays, and films that have made significant, wa significant waves in the horror scene from Hellraiser to Candyman the horror anthology Books of Blood. Clive Barker is well-versed in the grim and the violent, which is unsurprisingly exactly what his treatment of the mummy looked like. Both Barker and Romero seem to be lining up their mummy for enduring... Life in Universal's attempted dark universe, eliciting to make a terrifying monster that captured the souls of his enemies and the nightmares of the audience. With either horror icon attached, there are several ways in which the mummy would have been entirely different from the one that was released in 99, even though the original script for the 99 film shared similar elements to the more horror-infected treatment. It's likely that a Barker or Romero mummy would have been devoid of the comic relief that made the final movie so appealing. Moments such as Evelyn's library introduction scene may well have been absent, detracting from the movie as a whole, but all these years later, with two sequels, a spin-off series, and a reboot, it's clear that the revised The Mummy plan was hugely successful. And I would have to agree with that summation. Although it would have been interesting whether it was Clive Barker or Romero who did the mummy movies, it would have still been, would have been different as fuck, honestly. I can't even picture what a George A. Romero or a Clive Barker mummy 
movie or franchise would look like. It'd probably just be very, very insane. I would, uh, I would assume as much. I'm sorry, I'm trying to punch up this next little piece of information, the last little bit of news that we have for you today, or that I have for you today, before I bid you adieu on this shorter than normal podcast episode, is original old boy director wants to helm a James Bond movie. And in a recent interview with Deadline, Park Chan-wook opened up about how the James Bond franchise was a major influence on, on his filmmaking career. When asked if he would want to helm a film in the series, the old boy director expressed that it would be fun, but noted audiences may not be as into his take on the franchise as he would. Yes, that would be fun, but I'm not sure if people would be interested in watching. Those of you who've seen my latest film might find that hard to believe, but I think it all started with a Bond movie. I was in elementary school at the time. I think it was maybe Moonraker, but it was certainly a Roger Moore one. I got really into the film, and I had fun imagining different stories from it in my head when I was home by myself. At that time, Korea was a military totalitarian society, so they didn't allow everyone or they only allowed particular people to be able to travel outside the country, which is, I think, why I particularly enjoyed imagining myself in an exotic place, interacting with different races of people and going on fun adventures. So those crazy traps and weapons made with special technology and effects and the ingenious ways in order to escape from them, I had very detailed imaginative stories in my head of how that would happen. It went into so much detail that I also imagined the placement of the camera or the movement of the camera filming those situations, and I think that was my first storyboard in my head, even though I didn't draw them out. Uh, Though his typical genres may not connect to the long-running movie series, Chan Wook's adoration for the James Bond franchise would make him perfect to helm a new movie for it. At some point in the future, his highlighting of Roger Moore's Moonraker as a memorable, memorable one for him may divide some fans of the series, given, more, given Moore's tenure as James Bond was met with largely mixed reviews. However, given the old boy director is better known for his darker sense of humor and works in psychological thriller genre, it seems unlikely Chan Wook would turn to the campy nature of the more, the more Bond films should he get his hands on the property. Uh, Another key reason Chan Wook would be perfect to direct a James Bond movie is his keen sense for directing stylish yet grounding action, stylish yet grounded action sequences. Old Boy's hallway scene continues to be one of the most iconic scenes nearly a decade later, having served as the inspiration for everything from a fight in Daredevil season one to the recent action beat-em-up video game Sifu. While audiences await word on who will be the next to helm a James Bond movie, they can catch up with the most recent chapter, No Time to Die, streaming on Prime Video right now. Um, I didn't see, you know, you confession time, you guys. I didn't see the original James, the original James Bond. No, I didn't see the original Old Boy. I saw the Josh Brolin westernized remake um it is on my docket i mean hey come on you're talking to a guy who literally just watched pretty woman for the first time this summer so i'm gonna get around to it i think it would be interesting though i'm not gonna lie to you i mean at this point 
I don't think there's anyone that they could be like, they could be like, fucking, uh, we're, go we're, we're going with George Miller. Mad Max's George Miller is directing our next Bond movie. I'd be like, all right, let's go. There's been so many stylings and musings on the James Bond franchise in terms of directors that nothing at this point, the only thing they could do is, you know, you're adding seasoning to an already delicious steak. Season that motherfucker up. Don't don't be the reason that you don't give him the seasoning. <laughs> I'm trying to be cute, but anyways, yeah, I I, I think I, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound with Park Chan. Um, but yeah, like the article stated, we're gonna just have to hold on and see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a minute. I think they're gonna, you know, like a nice bottle of wine. They 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 pop the cork and they're gonna let it, you know air out and, and, you know, whatever, check the legs, whatever wine people do, because I just guzzle it. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a minute before we hear anything official on the James Bond front in terms of the next movie. But, I mean, if they if they got Park Chan-wook to direct it, that would be dope. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. I would be, like I said a second ago, in for a penny, in for a pound. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up. That's all the news that I had scraped together for you tonight. So we're going to have to wrap up this episode. I will catch you on the next one. And as I always say, keep it classy and stuff it down with a whole lot of brown. And when I'm talking about brown, I'm not talking about heroin or dirt weed or dirt or mud. I'm talking about bottom to top shelf brown liquor. Any variety, pick your poison, just drink it. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.